Good morning. Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're very glad you're here. I'd like to extend a special welcome to the visitors among us. If you care to, would you please fill out a visitor card that you'll find in the back of the pew in front of you? And if you have any questions, you may ask me or ask the friendly and knowledgeable and good-looking people at the um, visitor table out in the foyer. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every person. It is in that spirit that I ask you to greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you please say together with me the words by which we light our chalice? In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. The first reading is anonymous. May we be reminded here of our highest aspirations and inspired to bring our gifts of love and service to the altar of humanity, may we know once again that we are not isolated beings, but connected in mystery and miracle to the universe, to this community, and to each other. The mission of a church is what tells you where this church focuses its time, its money, its effort, and its attention. It is more the identity of the church than the church's building or the church's name. The mission of the church here goes like this. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. May it be so. Hello, I'm Carol Ramsey. And I'm speaking for the Stewardship Committee this morning. You've probably heard a lot of good reasons for giving generously to the church by now, so I thought instead I would just share some of my favorite memories. I first learned about the UU Church at a keg party. I was waiting in line at the keg, and people were talking about religious stories that were difficult to believe. And I asked, why can't there be a church where people learn about how to be a good person without all of the rest? A man in line at the keg said, yes, there is a church like that. It's a Unitarian Universalist church. I was intrigued even more when I learned that this man in line at the keg was Chuck Freeman, a Unitarian Universalist minister. (laughs) One of my first services was at a small UU church in Portland. I was used to the very traditional Catholic masses of my growing up. I knew this church was going to be different when I heard these really loud slurping noises, and it was from this baby who was breastfeeding in the church, and he was so loud. (laughs) He was like the loudest breastfeeding baby I'd ever heard, and the whole church could hear from end to end, could hear this baby feed, and it was great. It was beautiful. It was, (laughs) so I knew it would be different. I met my husband, Sean, at this church, and we got married by Kathy Harrington, the intern minister at the time. It felt good to share my church and my traditions and my beliefs with my conservative family. 
I really liked that I was getting married by a female minister. I only wish Meg could have been here, because then it could have been a female lesbian minister. (laughs) And that would have been even better. One of my favorite recent memories of this church, since I have two small girls now, is that it has really good babysitting. Sean and I figured out that we could go to covenant group first service and then go to the service, the second service, and we could get three full hours of babysitting every Sunday. And we were very regular members, very regular attendees, especially when they were really little. <laughs> Not that we don't like hanging out with you. It's just... <sighs> so for a long time, Sunday mornings were a special part of my week where I could sit still in peace Nobody was screaming or crying or pulling on my leg. (laughs) Even when the covenant group ended, I still stayed at church a really long time on Sunday morning. I still do. I have one last memory. I remember being in Voyagers, the the very old young adult group. A long time ago, in the very early days, we had potlucks once a month. And, um... The fellowship was great. I never had a bad time at one of these potlucks. But we were the single worst group of cooks ever to be assembled. (laughs) For one thing, there was only one of us who really cooked. Most items came from the Central Market Salad Bar. And some people, like there was even less like assembly, like some people just brought a grocery item, like a box of Oreos, to our potluck. And the only reason we didn't go hungry is that David Smith would always stop by KFC to pick up some buckets of chicken. (laughs) It was the saddest-looking potluck that you just have ever seen. And when I think about stewardship this year, I think of it like a potluck. We all have different time and talents and amounts of money, and in a random and unpredictable way, we bring what we're willing to share to the table to make a common meal. What I ask you to think about this morning is to please avoid the Voyager potluck. (laughs) bring something that represents how much the church means to you bring something that will help us make an amazing meal together one of the things that you may know or you may not know is that it is part of the Unitarian and Universalist traditions to draw from Eastern religious sources Since the 1800s, when the Buddhist and Hindu texts were first uh, translated into English, and our forebears, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Thoreau, Theodore Parker, began reading the Eastern religion texts, they began incorporating those ideas into their music. And so today we have a story from the Hindu scriptures and a beautiful Hindu chant. This is the story. There was a barbarian hunter named Guha. Guha would go out into the forest every day to hunt. And um, the priests in the city where he lived felt that he did not have enough religion. And they thought that they would make him more religious by putting up a statue of the god uh, Shiva near his home. You have one idea of what Shiva looks like on the front of your bulletin, one idea of what this statue may have looked like. So in order to make him more religious, they put up a statue right near his home. Now, 
You all know how you would feel or how you do feel when people try to make you more religious in their way. He felt the same way. And so every day when he was through hunting, he would make a special trip so that he could pass the statue and give it a good kick. That's what he did every day. Sometimes the priests would be there in the morning doing their rituals, but when the weather was bad, they would stay inside. Guha, however, even in the pouring rain in the monsoon season, he would go to the statue and kick it. Because he just hated that the priests were trying to make him more religious. And he hated that big old stupid hunk of stone that was right there in his woods. One day, there was a pack of wolves surrounding the statue. So Guha couldn't get to it to kick it. So he climbed the tree nearby, overhanging the statue. And he waited till the wolves were gone. But it was very cold, and he was shivering in the tree, and so droplets of water from the tree were raining down on the statue, and he got hungry, and the tree had some fruit that was kind of bitter. He took a big bite of the fruit, chewed it up, and went, spat it out all over the statue. Finally, the wolves went away. He climbed down the tree, went over, kicked the statue, and went home. It wasn't quite enough, though. He was still frustrated and miserable. And so he went to where the priests were and rounded them up and chased them out of the city. And when he returned that night, the statue was gone, and he thought no more about it. Some months later, he caught a fever and fell very ill. He died. The god of the underworld, whose name is Yama, Yama has a big hound that comes and gets you at the end. Yama's hound came to get Guha, carried him in his jaws toward the underworld, but it was stopped on its journey by a messenger from Shiva. Yama, the lord of the dead, was very insulted about this intrusion into his process. And so they all went before Lord Shiva to have a hearing. He's dead, said Yama. So he's mine. Shiva said, well, but he's been my most faithful servant. When other priests failed occasionally in their observances, when they were fair-weather priests, this man came to me every day. And once he kept watch over me all night long, raining water down on me, giving me food, adorning me with leaves. And he chased away those who only pretended devotion. He's mine, and you shall not take him. So Shiva returned Guha to life, and he lived a long time before he died again. So I love this story, and it feels like a really good story for Unitarian Universalists. Because we're always kicking some treasured icon. We're always subverting the dominant paradigm, 
questioning authority, defining ourselves against what we were raised with, or what our college roommate tried to convert us to, or what our college roommate successfully converted us to, or what our neighbors believed while we were growing up in the UU church that just made us mad to watch it. And we understand Guha's response to the pious Brahmins. The statue pulls him. He wants to just give it a good kick. And his outrage at the stupidity of the statue gives him energy. This is the greeting a statue deserved. A statue set up so somebody else would get more religious. That's what that kind of behavior deserves. And so when his soul was taken to the underworld, maybe he was rescued by that faithful hatred. Maybe faithful hatred connects you to things or people as truly as loving them does. This is a secret of the universe about which you must become aware Those of us who can go into a rut of ranting instantly when uh, we talk about our ex or when we talk about our ex's lawyer or when we talk about the religion of our childhood or when we talk about certain politicians, we go into a a rant that we don't even have to be awake for. (laughs) Connects you to that thing as surely as love does. And maybe just kicking against a thing so devotedly and so consistently means that you are devoted to that thing. You're fascinated, drawn. People who are repulsed by a certain quality in other people, they say, have that quality inside them in seed form and they're fighting against it as hard as they can. So... When people rail against homosexuality and then they get caught with a male escort um, who was just there to carry their bags, really, um, and they threw the drugs away, um, maybe that is giving you a clue about that person. Or maybe when a person just hates social climbers and everywhere they see social climbers, maybe they have a little social climber in themselves. Or when someone just hates people who are fake. I just hate fake people. I can't stand it. I can't even be in the same room with them. Maybe you're fighting against that inside yourself. That's another possible wisdom question. There's a wonderful Southern writer named Flannery O'Connor. I'm sure you're familiar with her work. And she wrote a story called Wise Blood. It's kind of horrifying. And I used to be horrified by Flannery O'Connor's stories because... um, they're not beautiful stories, but I found out in reading her letters, The Habit of Being is a collection of her letters, she thought they were funny, and she was writing those stories in order to be funny, and so it gives them a whole nother twist. So this story, Wise Blood, there's a young man named Hazel Motes, and he goes to the soulless city, and his aim is to do some things he ain't never done. So he finds a room in the home of Leora Watts, the friendliest bed in town. Hazel Motes' daddy was a hellfire and brimstone preacher. Quote, 
a waspish old man who had ridden over three counties with Jesus hidden in his head like a stinger. Hazel tells the cab driver, who looks at the round black hat uh, he's wearing and assumes that he's a preacher, because that's the kind of hat preachers wore in that part of Georgia. He tells the cab driver, listen, get this straight. I don't believe in anything. The cab driver says, not in nothing at all? Amazed. I don't have to say it but once to nobody, Hazel growls. That's the trouble with you preachers, the cabbie says. You're all too good to believe in anything. (laughs) Leora Watts, the friendliest bed in town, assumes he's a preacher too. The next day, he meets a street preacher named Hawk. And he follows Hawk and Hawk's daughter, Hawk tells Hazel that he smells sin on his breath. He hears the urge for Jesus in Hazel's voice. Hazel says, nothing matters except Jesus don't exist. Hazel is faithful to Jesus in his passionate engagement with him. And I think his Jesus would like that. Because his Jesus in the scripture says, be hot. Or be cold, but if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Love me or hate me, but don't go, eh. Guha is hotly engaged with Shiva. He kicks him faithfully every night, and when he misses a night, it makes him so mad, he chases the priests back to the town where they came from. And he's made a king in his town. So... I think that being fascinated and drawn to a thing counts as devotion. Or it could be that Shiva took Guha's kicks as a defense of Shiva's own god, which was the tree, a tree. That's the older religion. So Shiva's god is the tree, and maybe he didn't feel like being a god, and maybe when Guha kicked this statue that the priests put up, Um, Shiva thought Guha was right and that the tree was the only God. And maybe it is that the divine or the one counts devotion and passion and love to anything as devotion to the one. Um, In the book by C.S. Lewis, who was a Christian writer called The Last Battle... The battle rages between the forces of Tash, the demon god, and Aslan, the Jesus-y god. And the stars are falling from the sky. The creation is rolling up like a scroll. The end is coming. And as the creatures die, they go through an opening in a doorway where Aslan the lion is standing. So they have to get past him. And, And he never says a thing. So some come up and they see Aslan and they cower away and they will not enter. And some run toward him with trust and love. And a prince, a leader of the enemy forces, of Tash's forces, bows before Aslan and says, Now that I see you, I understand that you are the one I have loved and sought. And Aslan says, Even though you thought you were loving Tash, all true love and worship counts 
as worship of the one. All true love and worship counts as worship of the one. I love that because Unitarian Universalists worship in many different ways. Some of us stand in awe before nature and or we worship by serving other people and or we worship by having deep conversations with one another. We worship in many different ways. But I think the story of Guha kicking the statue of Shiva tells us that all the ways in which we worship are worship. At the beginning of the story, Guha says this to Lakshmana. Do not try to outguess fortune. For it is hard enough to know what one is doing at the moment right now. You think you are doing one thing and it counts for another. I think the universe or the one or the divine or however you think of God. I think the universe rewards effort over correctness. I think the universe wants passion and effort and consistency. That is the way to keep from dying inside while you're still up and walking around. Passion, effort, consistency. Guha made effort and sacrifice to engage with that lifeless block of stone that the shallow priests brought to the forest. And he did it daily and he put his whole self into it. And he was not cynical and detached from the whole thing. He was not like, "Uh, I made a decision to kick that darn statue every day. I guess I'll go, go, go. He did it with his whole being. He was not half asleep with sophistication. He was alive and awake and mad and faithful May it be so with each of us. And now will you say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. The lone wild bird in lofty flight is still with thee, nor leaves thy sight. And I am thine, I rest in thee. Great Spirit, come and rest in me. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.